Welcome for Outlander Season 1, Episode 3, The Way Out. I'm Don Bitters. And I'm Nick Stone. And this is Gaelic Guys, an Outlander podcast where we watch Outlander, drink scotch, and let you know our terribly uninformed opinions about both. This is a episode that was chock full of plot. A lot of plot. Not a lot of action, a lot of plot. So World War II, uh, we're opening with Claire and her first husband, Frank. Right. Uh, well, it, depending which timeline you're thinking about. Oh, that, that's true. Know. That's true. Chronologically. Yeah. Are we talking about Claire's true. point of view or the actual timeline? Because, you know, that's where we get confused. It, it's what stars in Raldi Moore consider. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Claire's first um, So she's off to the front lines. And just as she departs with Frank, which has the most, like, weirdly enough, forced kiss at the end of the scene, where it's like, oh, yeah, these two people love each other. Yeah. And then they kiss really rapidly when the train's already moving. Yeah. The, I, the chemistry there is not is not the same as with uh, well, between Claire and Jamie. She's not. He's not Jamie. That's so, true. Frank yeah. Randall is not Jamie. We can we can agree about that. That is the definitive fact. Also, I want to talk about, you know, Britain's amazing use of uh, feminism here, sending women to the front lines. And wow. to the past. And to the past, before the men, <laughs> so that, you know, Frank can stay home and look after the uh, intelligence community at large. So we're rocketed from Claire heading off to the front lines to water doused over in what quickly becomes obvious is like her playing things out in her head, but is not so obvious unless you've seen it. Yeah. And then really had a moment to analyze it because they don't do any sort of obvious tells in like the production to say like, oh, this isn't all in her head. It could seem really weird that one moment Miss Fitz is calling her a witch. The next moment is like, oh, your hair is so dry. Right. Also, yeah. when we go into the past, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, when and, Claire is being waterboarded. <laughs> Yes. Or bathed. Um, and this is supposedly technically all in Claire's head of like what she thinks is going to play out. Mrs. Fitz makes such a definitive comment about Claire's skin being like so wonderful. But technically that's in Claire's head. Well, I don't know if it is because they leave it they leave it really ambiguous when the fantasy portion starts. So I think it's entirely possible that the skin comment was real. And then when she sits down, she starts thinking about maybe telling misfits about her you know time traveling back to the future action and that's when the fantasy happens because it's it's really unclear they shoot it the same way to give you a little surprise because you know yeah. you watch this thing play out and she gets called a witch and slapped in her face <laughs> for talking about the future and then boom she's back because only witches you know. talk about the future yeah well yeah. Which, only witches talk about coming to the past from the future fair enough fair enough and I think that kind of establishes what I'll say is rule one of Time Travel Club. You don't talk about Time Travel Club because then people think you're one. a witch. And you don't want to admit that your husband is not dead because he hasn't been born yet. Because that's very confusing to everyone who has not seen a lot of time travel movies. I wonder when people would have had a strong enough understanding of time travel to really be comfortable with someone saying something like that. And they might go, you're crazy, but I know what you're trying to say. I I think everything post Back to the Future is really where we're at, in American culture at least. Do you think that we should rename the years of our timeline to be like before Back to the Future and after Back to the Future. So instead of BC and AD, it's like B, BTTF <laughs> and A, BTTF. Anyway. Um, um, yeah, so we're going from 
Claire uh, basically being washed to a quick scene of her down in the spice cellar, the spice dungeon. Right. Doing a healing montage. Then we quickly go to her in the kitchen, you know, showing that watching her apparently is the most boring job ever. And what do you do when you do watch Claire Beecham? You get drunk. That's just a normal thing. That's what we do when we watch Claire Beecham every week. That's actually very we, true. We drink scotch and watch what she does. But yeah, it's true. She's looking through these old tinctures and things. Powdered human skull comes up, which I can only imagine is to cure erectile dysfunction. We're talking 18th century. It's all to cure male erectile dysfunction. Right. That's the only recognized medical problem. But I'm thinking that Claire's like main priority should probably be teaching them basic hygiene. Like I think that would <laughs> solve the most disease problems from what I know about the era. My best highlight of that scene, though, mm-hmm. when she's in the kitchen as everyone with the most unhygienic hands ever right. is handling yeah. food, <laughs> as we've established. Yeah. Mrs. Fitz is talking about how, oh, well, one of Laird Collum's chambermaid, her son died from this like some sort of horrible what we know is a horrible disease but they call you know possession uh you know and devils and everything like that and i love the fact that mrs fitz is delivering this but she still kind of does it with a smile right (laughs) well i mean i feel like people died of demonic possession pretty regularly oh yeah and so you know you just you know you kind of roll with the punches it's it's a great catch-all it's like the flu yeah at, at the time yeah at the time and I, I really like the part where one of Claire's keepers who's watching her really condescendingly tells her, it's not the ruins that are hurting them. It's the demons that run free in the ruins, oh. idiot. They're like, we're not suspicious. We're really superstitious. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So we're going from there to Claire being summoned up to the Laird for what a scene that in modern context is very creepy. Oh yeah, but yeah, uh, this it, is this where I have what I I'd like to call out. Shout out to the West Wing Weekly people, but a Harvey Weinstein I I I moment where it's like this is like a little too relevant to modern times, where he's like, "Hey, come up here. I'm gonna take my pants off and you're gonna massage me." And there's a power dynamic here. It's like, ooh weirdly relevant to the news and this is after he's threatened basically apparently the best tailor in edinburgh the uh tailor had made a cloak that went past and covered up his legs he's like no i want everyone to see my sexy penguin legs yeah so and if you don't i'm gonna kill you so Colin not so subtly tells claire you have to massage me and that quickly escalates when she's like no you need to do your lower back to he's like oh here's my ass and it's like, basically, it's still Harvey Weinstein. But then she's like, I want to massage your lower back. And he, like, lifts up his, like, nightgown or whatever. And it's like, I don't know what she expected other than to see his ass. That's I true, mean, yeah. as a medical professional. These it's are like, Scotsmen. Yeah. yeah. They you know. wear kilts. Right. There's, not, <laughs> There's nothing, nothing under there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, that we know. So then we go down to uh, Claire participating because she's so kind as to massage above his his ass. Uh, right. That, that the Laird asks her to his party but in that way that only if you're like in charge of everything you can or he's like i'd like you to be my guest like i can't like i'm or, trying to think back if you're a producer yes if you're a producer you have to be like the guy in charge to ask someone to a party that way claire goes down to what they would call a i guess it's like a musical right it's sort of i guess in a modern context it'd be like a house concert you know but it's yeah, probably so. the only form of entertainment happening in castle leoc that isn't alcohol short short of just getting wasted and then we quickly set up what is the least successful love triangle ever 
right. between Jamie, uh, Leary, and Claire, which immediately I always saw like the connection of you've got Claire, the brunette, you've got the blonde of Leary, and then you've got Archie. <laughs> yeah, they actually use this episode just as the pilot oh, for Walk. Riverdale um, because, you know, that's what really yep. started the, the Archie revival <laughs> in the early 21st century. And also for, for being at like a active musical recital in a very drastic castle that is not that loud. Like there's no like sound absorption. Right. Like they're talking very loudly from the second row. Oh, yeah. I Like it's it's the musician in me but like in my head i'm just like shut up i'm trying to listen to this guy play his tiny harp which he was doing a fantastic job he was doing a great job and also like i mentioned before it's like there's nothing else going on at this castle and then this guy comes up and he's gonna play the harp for you he's gonna sing he's gonna play the recorder later spoiler alert and it's like the most interesting thing that's happened in like you can't shut up for like five minutes. Like you can flirt all day, guys. Like this is the I time like this to watch. Is really the touching on some personal issues. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I have I have a lot of issues with people um, talking. At but yeah, so during the scene, like we uh, we basically have in that love triangle with Leary, who's a, a character I believe we've seen before that is now being like established that she's also got the hots for Jamie. Understandable because in the last episode he like offered up his body, body in her, her place, yeah. you know, to save her from punishment. So you know, I get it. During the scene, we have the kind of the most epic shutdown of Larry by Jamie. <laughs> yeah, it, of, uh, the most epic unintentional shutdown uh, by the oblivious Jamie, where Leary is going on about like, oh, don't you remember all these great times we had? And he's like, I don't remember any of that. And then to kind of like just compound that, he just hands off. The empty glass being like, take care of that, won't you? I'm going to go down with my sexy brunette. <laughs> yeah, it's like... I need her to check out my bandages. <laughs> here's a little bit of misogyny so that I can just also make sure you know I'm not interested in you romantically. Even though... And that wait, it's still the 18th century. Now remind me, at this point, did we see them making out already? No. This is before that. This is before that. Okay. Spoilers. Anyway, point is, it's pretty epic shutdown. By the way, I just want to point out something because almost every other scene in this show features alcohol in some way. Yes. That Claire's reaction of being like, I'm stuck in the past. What do I do? Get drunk always. As we mentioned, other than tiny harp concerts, drinking is the only form of entertainment. Yeah. So down in uh, the Spice Dungeon if sl- slash the sick bay, Jamie tells Claire like, oh no, I didn't actually need any medical attention. I just wanted you to touch me. Yeah. I mean, they go into this whole thing about, well, you're the healer in charge. And it's like, okay, let's establish this dom-sub relationship. Yeah, I was going to say, like, literally what I've written for that moment was Jamie's always ready to submit to Claire the show which is you know renowned for its sexiness this is all foreplay and subtlety I, I, yes but I think that's what i was going to say is too is like that i've never heard the words it's scabbed over nicely there's no drainage said so sexually charged than when claire is checking jamie's wound i definitely touch my scab is not my go-to pickup line personally but it but is no Jamie's. drainage is definitely here no drain i say no line. drainage all the time well clearly it works for claire in the 18th century yeah she's, she's, it's definitely it's definitely working out these two are on a collision course though it feels like this episode is a little bit of a pause in that story like they just like give you enough to keep you interested but they kind of well, don't don't force it too much no no and it's actually i think it's something to be said for the show in that they spend a lot of time playing up sexuality as you know spoiler the show is definitely all about that, but they actually took the moment to like take that story for Claire and step aside and be like, okay, no, 
here's how harsh like science versus religion was back then. So Claire and the sassy witch Galus are in the garden, you know, looking for berries and berries, other things like that. Galus is very, very clear about the fact that you don't mess with people's superstitions. Right. Like you don't mess with what they want to believe because that will come back and bite you as I think they're very clear about that that is going to happen with uh, the, a terrible character who we're about to meet after this short jaunt through the garden uh, we're to an exorcism. Evidently the prevailing wisdom in the 18th century if you have someone who's very sick is that you have to moisten the ill to the maximum effect as um, Father uh, Asswipe I believe his name is yeah. oh, Father. It's one of the two, Asswipe or Bane. I forget. But Father Asswipe. Bane. He's basically a Star Wars villain. Right. Yeah. His name is already evil. He's in Darth it, Bane. Yeah. Father Bane just gets in here and begins spritzing this poor boy who already looks half dead. And it's like, yeah, I understand it's holy water, but still, could maybe a little less. You know, a little goes a long way. No, no. I think what you're establishing is like, yeah, we're hella superstitious. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I have right here a note that says Jamie smashes the Bonnie Lass. Right at this point. Uh, and we get a little little tiny scene. Of, Which, why isn't that the episode name? Right? I mean, I think that should probably be. You know, he does admit, while he's right right before he completely dismisses Leary, he does admit that she is indeed very bonny. So we know that, you know, he finds her attractive, even if he's totally dismissive of her as a potential, like... Yeah, and then we get kind of launch into what is, I would say, the 18th century equivalent of kind of jealous flirting. Yes, yeah. Of Claire basically mocking Jamie. It's straight off of like yeah. an 80s rom-com of like the two of them being like, ho ho, did a, a horse hit you in the lips? Yeah, this like, oh, I'm going to make fun of you making out with somebody else because I'm jealous. Let's play footsie about it. They play it as like mm-hmm. Jamie's like trying to say like, stop talking about this in front of everyone. But really, we know it's just a little bit of footsie. You know, it's like a, it's a, just some jealous, aggressive flirting. Which we get a little dose of Murtaugh who is kind of Jamie's, like, you know, very good friend and confidant, who is basically just laying knowledge down for Claire at this point. Right. And that he's basically saying, like, you know, that Jamie doesn't need someone who is childish and, like, is very mature. He needs someone who is a woman. Murtaugh basically just pre-approved you, Claire. Also, Murtaugh, if you, if you listen closely, I think your interpretation is right, but I like to pretend... In the very literal interpretation when he says that Jamie needs a woman, not a lassie, and that Jamie should really not be left alone with border collies, it's better if his energies are expended on human women. For the record, this is a facepalm. <laughs> so uh, then we next go to following Claire as she goes to Galus's. Mm. Uh, so we get our sassy witch full on here. Right, in her natural habitat. Dropping the knowledge, clearly Bane is not to be trifled with, that he's the Catholic Darth Vader. And the whole sequence is interrupted by a child essentially being caught for stealing. Yeah. That is being, you know, dragged through the town for judgment. And we have the mm-hmm. judge or some the person who the is... going to decide this poor boy's fate. fate. Yeah. yeah. But the way they establish him is like... That even Outlander is not above a fart joke. The two things he is, <laughs> he is gullible and he is flatulent. Yes. That's what we know about this Which, guy. Though we also just said that Galus is all about sexual manipulation. Yes. But then we do one of these these pivots. I feel like the show is going to be doing a lot more in the first season mm. than I had actually remembered of this yeah. hard pivot from fart jokes to child abuse. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty harsh sentence. I mean, the light sentence. This boy gets spared from having his hand cut off and instead is offered an hour on the pillory with one ear nailed. And then we find out he's not nailed there for an hour and then released. Yeah. He's nailed there for an hour and then allowed to get up and rip the nail out of his ear whenever he wants. Yeah. You know, it just... It's a pretty messed up thing to do to a kid for stealing (laughs) a loaf of bread. Yeah, and then during all this, as Galus and Claire are talking, again, Claire is day drinking. Oh, yeah. (laughs) As we watch this poor boy suffering with his ear nailed to a giant wooden, like basically a hangman station, which is what a pillory is. I sort of don't blame Claire, and it's almost, uh, you can read it as a window into Claire's past traumas that she's still dealing with, like we saw in That's the true. pilot, That's true. where yeah. she was drinking right after, like trying to pin yeah. some guy's veins in his leg while he's been injured by some explosion in World War II. And so we know she kind of has a drinking problem and sort yeah. of, you know, has a post traumatic stress disorder thing that they're only still alluding to. In 18th century Scotland, they drink because they're bored. She drinks. To, to handle this shit. She's in a really stressful situation and has not healed from the previous stressful yeah. situation she's in. It's understandable that she would be seeking some sort of release. In this scene, though, we see uh, Galus starts to get very persistent in asking for details about Claire's interesting upbringing. And so we don't know whether Galus is going to be friend or foe. Mm-hmm. She just She's very curious, and that's dangerous to claire but then of course our hero jamie comes in yeah as, as claire and jamie leave jamie is willing to pull the nail out of the boy's ear but only after claire goes for the old fainting englishwoman trick yeah classic classic distraction technique of con men everywhere fainting englishwoman yeah but well, also you... showing that Jamie, you know, it's a subtle thing too, but it's like, he's honestly like the best person of this era. <laughs> this is a very favorable scene for Jamie because he is shown as compassionate, but he's also shown as very strong. <laughs> His hands have to be strong enough to like rip, rip a, a nail, nail out, of, out of this piece of wood. <laughs> With his bare hand. That's this nail that's probably covered in a fair amount of blood. After this, Claire is wanting to prove that this young boy is not possessed, but poisoned or otherwise something else has happened to him. She doesn't know the poisoning yet. Right, so they go to um, the Black Cock. It's it's the Black Kirk, from what I heard. Oh, their accents make that very difficult to hear. But anyway. So we established that even Jamie had come here as a child to prove his manhood. And my first reaction is, Jamie, you don't need to prove that. We all see it. At this point, he's not even acting like it's some feat for him to be coming back. You know, for yeah. the kids, it's like... he. But it's a rite of passage. They're showing their bravery. But for Jamie now, he's just like, oh, yeah, the guy I came with got super sick when I came up here. But I'm just going to wander around where my Scottish fellow <laughs> Scottish people believe demons roam free. I mean, in the context, very brave. But then we go on this little uh, new detectives jaunt where we we're like, oh, it turns out this isn't wood garlic. It's actually Lily of the Valley. Now we know the poison that's been affecting the young men of Scotland. Yes. Claire's botany skills are on uh, are full sh- display. On full display here. Frank probably told it to her in a flashback. Right. We move on from the black cock to the. I, I would almost assume it was like another exorcism. Is it the same exorcism? Has it just right. been going on? 
Yeah, I mean, it feels like part part of the same thing, but we know now that they've basically given up on saving this boy's life, and that now they're just, like, giving him his last rites. It's time to save his soul. But they expect yeah. him to die. Where we yeah. prove that Mrs. Fitz is basically the most badass woman on the show, standing up to, you know, Darth Vader and basically telling him that we will do what we want to under this house Yeah, when Claire wants to basically help the boy, and, you know, Darth Vader has no interest in that. Right. And he'd rather the boy die than have a woman save him. Oh, yeah. He's he's on a superpower trip with his religious thing. And, you know, Claire see, has seemed to know what she's doing for these people. It's not like a total gamble on their part. No, no, totally, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, this psychopath, you know, is really intent on not allowing help. I know historically, yes, we can. it's, it's very easy for us to dismiss the past and it, and say, like, that they chalked everything up to X to demons and everything like that. But I actually wonder, like, to what degree was that actually the case? Because people know that poison is a thing. Right. Even in the 18th century. People know that you can get diseases even in the 18th century. So it does call up the question. Like, I'm not saying it doesn't work for the show. Yeah. But it does bring up the question in regards to how much of the past that we kind of, like, are told, like, oh, yeah, everyone's basically a caveman to the versus modern day, that how much of that is true Versus people who could still have some common sense. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's really interesting because you hear these stories about, I was hearing recently about, you know, British colonial officers in Kenya laughing at the locals who had convinced themselves that malaria was caused by mosquito bites. The idiots. You know, and it's like, because we know from the name malaria, bad air. It's bad air. You know, and it's one of those things where it's like, if you're told something enough and like everyone around you believes it... Mm. Sort of whether it makes sense or not, you you glom onto it, you know, and that's yeah. that's a very natural tribal instinct we have, you know, even against what we think of now as common sense. And yeah. I'm, you know, I shudder to think what things by the time we're old men will look back on as like, so we were super dumb, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's just one thing that I've noticed that a lot of yeah. shows that deal with going to like far flung past always kind of use the past as an easy denigration. And then to the show's credit that they do have characters like Mrs. Fitz, mm. who still is willing to kind of like understand that certain things can be solved in ways that aren't just kind of as proposed by patriarchy. And I mean, this is almost a reflection of Claire's initial fantasy about telling Mrs. Fitz about being from the future, because in that she mentions this futuristic thing and is immediately called a witch and cursed out by this yeah. woman but it turns out this woman is maybe one of the most forward-thinking people because when presented with the possibility that something other than demonic possession you know she's yeah. like okay something great, other than try. the church can do good exactly yeah. yeah so we lead into kind of our end seek with a very convenient expositional bomb dropped because you know this this harp player and singer is in town only for one week Jamie, I love the fact that Jamie is basically like waiting for Claire. Like, super expecting, like, oh, she's going to show up. She's going to show up. And, like, grabs her and they're like, oh, sit, let's sit over here. Like a giddy high schooler. Oh, I was waving. I don't know if you saw me, Claire. But I'm, we're sitting over here, Claire. We can watch the tiny harp player again. <laughs> Where he starts singing this song. But the uh, harp player keeps starting. Yeah, yeah, the harp player is now is is the captain exposition of the 18th century in Gaelic, so we don't understand it. But conveniently, of Jamie there to translate. Yeah, and he starts explaining about uh, a woman who went to a ring of stones and touched the tallest stone and went to a strange place and met lovers and friends, but then came back to her time because Claire is like 
wondering out loud whether she would like go farther back in time or yeah. return to her own time if she were to like go back to the stones. Yeah. And then conveniently this harp player is like, Don't worry, you'll go to the future. Please go back to the stones. And it's like, well that's a convenient song for you to pick to sing. <laughs> That's now our theme song, by the way. <laughs> so that's the episode uh, as we lead into Claire now no, now having a clear mission of mm. getting back to those stones to get back to her far less attractive husband. Yes. Though still a pretty decent guy. And also, you know, there's modern medicine. In to things. be fair, I also think like you can just subtitle Frank Randall. Frank Randall, decent guy, is like the <laughs> definition of him. Right. He's the, he's the Baxter of this story yes. which is where where he's he's a nice guy and uh but we really know that claire should be with someone else ultimately speaking you know and that's okay that's okay yeah. we'll, we'll see how that goes yeah so moving on to what we're drinking this week mm. we are drinking the cutty sark blended scotch whiskey this is the first scotch that i've seen that actually has a find us on facebook Mm. On the back of the label. They got their social media game on. Point. So I think this may be the most forward-thinking scotch I've yes. seen. forward-thinking. Smooth on the palate. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, yeah. so smooth. Uh, it's a little harsh. Actually, it's a little harsh on the front. Mm. But it's not too smoky. And it kind of has, like, it, it's harsh in, the, in a good way. Yeah. Like, so it's one of those things of, and we've been, I think we've been very fortunate with the scotch we've picked for this show thus far. Yeah. Mind you, we've only done three. Yeah. So by the time early, we early like days, ten... Yeah. We'll be like, oh man, number seven. We should go out of our way, like next episode, to find the worst scotch we can find, I, so that we can actually have one we don't like. Because I really enjoyed this, just the, like I have the last. The one shelf ones. down from this, right? Is definitely that. <laughs> yeah, where it's it's uh, the one shelf below this in the supermarket is scotches and paint thinner. Those are our choices. <laughs> Anyway, drink Cuddy Sark. Uh, Cuddy Sark is good. There uh, are inadvertent sponsors for the week. <laughs> this has been our episode. Thank you for listening. If you like what we're stumbling through here, please like, subscribe, tell a friend. I think that's probably the best way that we're going to have people discover this at this point. Thank you for being with us, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye.